We thank you. We 
Thank you that you are so good. Yes, praise God. Well, it's good to see you here uh, this wonderful Sunday morning, and uh, we're going to want to talk to you about uh, Life Church and our, our vision, our plan. Uh, we have a vision at Life Church. That's where we're headed, where we're going. The vision is what is out in front of us, and you probably have heard this phrase before. But our vision, we exist to see, would you say this phrase with me? Say transformed lives. Have you ever heard that phrase before? I hope that you have because everything we do revolves around that and we are convinced and we have seen, we've watched it happen in front of our eyes that as your lives are transformed, all of the good things that we want to see happen in our community and in lives around us, the people that God has called us to reach, it all hinges on our lives being transformed. Well, what is a transformed life? How would I know, Pastor Brian? If my life were transformed, how would I know? Well, a transformed life has gone from being drained by... Everybody say drained. drained. Have you ever been drained before? Do I need to define that for you? I think we understand drained, right? A, li- a transformed life has gone being from drained by this world to being energized by God. Today, we're going to look at that. What does that mean? We're going to look at a picture of that. We're going to look at a, uh, an individual and some people, actually, in Scripture who were energized by God. And when you're energized by God, it is amazingly easy to tell. It doesn't mean that everything's going perfect in your life, and, but it does mean there is something getting you out of bed in the morning. There's something driving you. There's a purpose. You know that God has something for you to accomplish on this planet, and that motivates you. It energizes you. I don't know about you, but I feel like in life I've been kicked many times, I've been discouraged many times, but what is it that keeps getting me up and keeps me motivated and keeps me looking towards the future? I know the best is yet to come, and it's not because I'm so awesome or I'm so smart. There's a God, the Spirit of God on the inside of me keeps picking me back up and showing me better things to come. That is a transformed life. It's energized by God and by living for God's purpose. So we're going to, again, we're going to look at a, a photo today. I'm going to read you through a, a little bit of Acts chapter 20. This is Paul towards the end of his ministry, towards the end of his life. He's put in many years of establishing churches and just sharing Christ wherever he went. He's now on his way back to Jerusalem, and he's being warned in every place he goes that trouble awaits him, but he can't help himself. He's got to get back there because he feels directed by God to go. And when you're energized by God, you just go where He sends you, even if you feel like there's trouble ahead. So we're going to pick up the story here, Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to just read through this. Uh, Going through this this week, I I got blessed so many times, I just stopped in so many places and almost came to tears so many times reading through this, I realized that if I don't just read through it one time, I'll never get through it. So I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to come back and comment. When he's talking about the Apostle Paul, when we Paul and and his his team with him. When we landed at Miletus, he, Paul, sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus. So again, he's traveling back to Jerusalem. Ephesus is somewhere between 20 and 50 miles from here. And he sends for these elders, asking them to come and meet him. So of course, they pick up and walk. When they arrived, he declared. Now, the rest of this is him talking to these elders. He declared to them, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia, that's where they lived, until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. It's interesting how that comes up. With many tears. He was pouring his heart into what God put in front of him to such a degree it it produced tears in him, tears of joy, tears of struggle at times. He says, I have endured trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. Let's go to the next one. 
Uh, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Again, get this picture. He's just compelled to move forward, compelled to go to a place. And the only thing that he knows for sure is going to happen there is he's going to get in trouble. Now, primarily what you see on planet Earth, there's one thing that motivates people, and that is success. That gets us up in the morning and that drives us ahead. But success is an interesting way of ending up being discouraging. That's, but that's what gets human beings up normally. When's the last time you got up and were just motivated and you just couldn't stop? You were just energized by something, even, you, even though you knew it might be hard, even though, even though you knew it was going to be difficult. There's only one explanation for this. He's been transformed. He's got a different pair of glasses on. And he sees God's purpose for his life so much more clearer than what humans would call success. He's, he's now called that. See, a transformed life has a different picture of success. It's God's plan for my life. And once you start seeing it and you start living for it, it energizes you. It fills you. It empowers you. And he's just marching towards, well, towards trouble. He goes on to say, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. As we continue reading, he says, now I know that none of you who have, whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. This is going to be his last time through. Ephesus was one of the many churches that he worked uh, to plant. He says, you're never going to see me again. Declare today, I declare today that I have been faithful if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I'm glad he keeps it light and fluffy here. <laughs> I have been, he's saying, I have done it. I, whatever God called me to do, I did it. I've been faithful. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way with your life? Doesn't mean that you've accomplished everything, but you've been faithful to play your part. Uh, it's been, there's been some challenging times, but you've been faithful. Will you say that with me? Say, I've been faithful. It feels good to be able to say that. God, I've been faithful to what you've called to me. All right, as it go on now, he says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard, working hard. It's just a part of everything that happens on planet Earth, including the church of Jesus Christ. Include, that's the way God wants it. God doesn't want his kingdom built some different way on planet Earth. He wants people willing to see it and work hard for it. And that's how it gets done. But you have to see it first. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's just been his life. Paul didn't feel like he was getting the short end of the stick because he's, he recognized it was more blessed to give. He was quoting Jesus here. And gang, this is all we can control. By the way, you cannot control how much comes to you, whether it's financially or attention or uh, praise or success. You can't automatically determine how much comes to you, but what can you determine? What are you completely and utterly in control of? You're in control how much you give. You're you're, you are in control of the outgo. You are in control of what you sow and what you give and your heart and your time and your energy. You are in control of that. And the happiest people on earth, the happiest people have figured this out. That if I'll be more concerned about that, more concerned about the giving part, more concerned that I'm doing my part, that's the entire kingdom is built on that, Jesus said, that he will build your house if you'll get to work on his. That's his promise. That's his word from start to finish, that the people who see it get to work on it. And Jesus, so many different ways he says that. 
Just don't worry. That's when he talked in Matthew 6 about don't worry. You know, consider the birds, consider the lilies. He says God is building that, and God wants to build your life. If we'll ever resign from being the sole builder of our own life and get to work on his house, he says, then I'm going to get to work building yours. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. Just get this picture, right? I picture them on a beach, all right? So here they are. They're on a beach. Can you hear the waves coming in? Oh, isn't it beautiful? He knelt, this, this group, how many? We don't know how many of them, several of them. He kneel, they're kneeling and praying, and they all cried as they embraced and kissed him. You guys think you'd feel comfortable with that? You got anybody you've worked with, and, and hopefully you feel comfortable with, with your children, but they have worked together to build the house of Jesus Christ. They have labored together. They have worked together to such a measure. They feel so comfortable with each other. How, how do you get there? You have to work together through some challenging and difficult things. And in that process, and only in that process, it doesn't come any other way. Do you, do you arrive at this point? Gang, this is a transformed life. This is a transformed life. And by the way, I just confess it. This is where I want to end up. That's where I want to end up, right there. I, I've, I've tried chasing the same thing the whole world chases. I remember a, a quote by a, maybe some of you, if you're my age or older, you might remember a pretty famous author, Jack Higgins. For my generation, one of the most famous authors, he was being interviewed. That was a I think, I forget which article he was interviewed by, but it was a big, a big interview, pretty important, and the interviewer asked him, Jack, you know, he's so successful. Jack, what do you wish you would have known when you were a boy? What if, if you could take all your knowledge now, and what, what do you wish you were taught and you would have understood when you were just a boy? Pass that information on to us. He didn't skip a beat. Jack Hagan said, I wish as a boy somebody would have told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. See, he played the game everybody else played, and it was just his only picture was a successful him. That was the only picture he had was, was just him, a, a successful him. And, and he got there, and he found out the same thing everybody finds out. It's just the air is a little bit thinner there. There's, there's nothing else. He didn't invest, and it wasn't people. He was working to build his own kingdom and not God's. And the only thing that satisfies a human soul is Christ Himself, the Spirit of Christ Himself, and people that God calls you to work with and love to build what He's building in the earth. And He's building His church, which is His people. That's what He's building. You know there's only one thing you can take with you to heaven? doesn't matter how much you pile up. You can't take any of it to heaven. What's the only thing you can take to heaven? People. People, people that you have impacted, people that your life has impacted, that's the only thing you can take. And a transformed life, what is it? What is a transformed life? What's our vision, Pastor Brian? Our vision is you and I getting it, seeing clearly, putting that new pair of glasses on that values what God values, and we value people and His kingdom, which are people serving God, we value that, that success more than our own. And the promise of God is you get to work on that and you just watch. You watch me take care of you. God says, I know your needs. 
I know your bills. I know them better than you do. I know how many hairs are on your head. How many of you know how many hairs are on your head? Do you know? We don't know, do we? He does. But in that context of him saying that was when he was telling us to quit worrying about your stuff. That's what he was talking about when he said, I know the hairs on your head. He's saying, I actually pay better attention than you do. If you'll ever dial back on your stuff and get to work on what's really important, I'll take care of it. I'll get to work. How many knows that God can do more in your stuff in five minutes than you can do in five years? Did you know that? He can fix it. He can fix it. He asks us to work on his stuff. In pictures, they all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. Gang, that's where I want to end up. That's the picture I want to end up with. I'll tell you a funny story. I was, I got an invitation a couple years ago to spend a week with some friends. They had a, somebody had given them a place in Florida for a month in, I think it was in February. So, and they invited us down there for a week. So we prayed, Jesus, okay, amen. And we heard, yes. Um, so we went down there and, and stayed with some good friends who were also uh, ministers and you know, working to build the kingdom. And one day, I was just out for a walk and praying and saw a guy fishing on the beach. And I just, hey, you know, I'm a Mr. Pray for One, you know. I'm like, hey, I'm going to talk to this guy. So I just, I just said hi, and man, he took it from there. He started talking and talking, and it became pretty obvious that he was, he was desperate for somebody to talk to. I heard his story. You want, you want to hear his story? He had spent, I think, 35 years working as a manager and then owning an Ace Hardware somewhere in Pennsylvania. I wish I could remember the town. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, he had slaved. He had put in his time. He owned the place, and, and he, he made it, man. He made it big. The store went well, and finally he was able to retire, and his dream was, his dream was to get that place in Florida, and now he owned a place not far from this beach in Florida, and his dream was he always liked to fish, but he couldn't fish much. And now he fished every day. And he had a boat, too, so he spent some time here and some time out in the boat. And so the more I talked to him, like, oh, so you fish every day. He's like, yeah, I fish every day. <laughs> so I just, I just, you know, we were going on. I asked him, so but do you bring the fish home? He says, oh, no. My wife, well, she, will, she won't allow me. She doesn't want to ever see another fish. I can't bring any fish home. And as the more he talked, he started confessing in small ways that he was sick of fishing. <laughs> he had no idea you could outfish yourself, but he was sick of it, just sick of fishing. He, he never dreamed that. But he had spent his whole life dreaming to get to this place where he could rest. He, it was just a picture. Gang, I pray in Jesus' name that you're hearing me because this isn't just a few random, you know, souls that, that, that do this. This is the norm. This is the norm. The norm, according to Jesus Christ, the norm of human nature is that the, that the picture in your brain is a picture of your success. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with success, and Jesus actually says he'll give it to you. But that's not the picture he wants in your brain. That picture, can I say it friendly? Can I say it kindly? That picture, pursuing that picture of a successful you, whatever that means, it might mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people, but that picture of just a successful you, that in your brain, just driving at that, will kick your rear. 
It'll kick you. You will end up more alone than you ever imagined. You will end up just more discouraged than you will ever imagine. Like Jack Higgins said, even if you do, if you do arrive at the top, you will discover there's nothing there. It's God the whole time. The whole time. And the thing is, is once you see this, once you put this pair of glasses on and you see what Paul saw, I mean, let's just be honest. What in the world is driving Paul to go when, when he knows he's going to go to jail? Gang, that's what you want. That's the energy you want. The energy you want getting you out of bed in the morning is called the grace of Jesus Christ. And it comes to people who are working to build his kingdom. And gang, it's right here around us. It's accessible to each and every one of us. All right, let's go back and go through a few of these verses now. Back at verse 17, when we, notice even here, Paul is traveling in a team. He doesn't do anything alone. He just doesn't. Just the way God has ordained it. So he's even traveling as a team. Traveling as a team, he calls out for these elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. So who are these, these elders? We very, very intentionally at Life Church don't use that phrase. The Bible does give qualifications for an elder, but it doesn't really define the role. And most churches will define it. Every church seems to define it a little bit differently because the Bible doesn't tell you exactly what it is. So let me give you my definition of an elder. An elder is a person who has helped one group. Can we read this aloud together? A person who has helped one group long enough that God is using them to hold it together. Can I make you a guarantee? You want that. You want that. That, you want that. You might be sitting there saying, no, that's fine. I really don't. No, I don't. No, I, I have no desire to be an elder in the church. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Maybe you don't think you want it, but I guarantee you that will satisfy your soul. That gets you up. And we specifically at Life Church don't use that title because once you've granted the title to, you know, four, six, eight, then all of a sudden, well, okay, those are elders and nobody else. I, I, I can't be one. Gang, most of the people who actually are elders, the people that God is actually using to hold things together, they don't recognize it. If you ask them, most of the people who are fulfilling that role, if you ask them, are you an elder? They'd say, no. No, I just show up and do my part. I, I, just, I, just, I just show up when they ask for volunteers. I just serve and give. That's all I do. That's called an elder. And that's how the kingdom of God is built. I'll tell you a, what I think is a funny story. My dad, uh, my father just, he loved God, and I grew up under a great example of just loving God and, and just wanting to, wanting to love God and wanting to love God's people. Uh, he was just a humble, good man, never had any desire for any recognition in any way, shape, or form. But after I graduated, they moved to Minneapolis and became a part of a very large church. And of course, he was going to serve, right? So dad's looking for the lowest spot. You know, what's the lowest spot where I can just serve and help? And he recognized the church is built on, you know, the kingdom of God, the way it's built. It's by people willing to give and help people. So he decided the parking lot. I'm going to serve in the parking lot. You know, if there's ever a, a spot that you would think that, you know, how could you bless people there? And he decided he's going to get in the parking lot, 
He's going to smile real big, and he's just going to make people happy before they get in the door. So, and he worked there long enough that he was given the elite spot in the parking lot. And the elite spot had a little bit of authority because not only were you directing people, you had to keep people from driving down this one certain path. There was a path around the building, and people liked to take it, and they coned it off because I don't know the whole story, but apparently it was dangerous, and if you drove on that path, I mean, sometimes kids were coming out of the building, so you can't let anybody drive there. So dad has got authority now. My dad is a very large man, by the way. He's about 6'2", about 300 pounds, and a big beard. And he looks scary, but he's just, he's happy. He's a friendly feller. Well, one day, a really nice car pulls up to those two cones that are over the forbidden path, a nice Mercedes. Dad's standing there, and uh, Dad can tell they're just waiting for him to move the cones so he can, you know, so they can drive down the forbidden path. And he's like, Mercedes or no Mercedes, you're not driving down the forbidden path. And then the guy honked his horn. And my dad's like, really? Really? You're going to honk your horn? So he's, dad just smiling like, no, you can't, you can't come down here. Just smiling. And finally, the guy rolled down to his window. It was, you know, church had already started. So he figured, you know, the guy's nervous. Church has started. He's got to get there. So the guy rolled down to his window and just hollered out the window, move the cones. Dad is like, I need to, I, I, we can't do that. You, you can't drive here. Now, normally, Dad would have stopped the guy. But at that point, the guy got out of his car, walked around the front of his car, grabbed the two cones, and moved them, got back in his car, and drove off. Do you want to know why my dad didn't stop the guy? You want to take, take a while to guess. Why didn't my dad stop the guy? He was the pastor of the church. <laughs> the man with the microphone. My dad was just, he's like, oh my gosh, he didn't, I mean, obviously the guy was, you know, he was a little late, late for service, you know, do you feel odd if you're late for service? Well, imagine as a pastor, you're late for service, and he's, now let me be clear, dad didn't judge the guy, he didn't, my dad never, the guy never, the pastor never said anything to my dad, the pastor didn't say, you know, I'm running late, I'm sorry, I'll drive careful, none of that, none of that, he didn't address my father at all, now my dad didn't judge him. My dad never expected to, to know this pastor, and, and he didn't expect. He, that just wasn't his way. So he didn't judge him. He didn't. But you know, I watched from that point on, and I think, and I don't think my dad ever put his finger on it. I don't think he could ever define and say why he was slowly losing heart. But starting on that day, I think he just slowly started losing a little bit of that zeal. And I think it was and because up to that point, he kind of felt like he was building the church of Jesus Christ, and he kind of felt like his role was actually important. And on that day, though it wasn't stated in these exact terms, he was kind of told that you're not really that important here, and your role really isn't that important. And I wish there was some magical way for me to communicate this. I wish I could somehow rip my heart out and just put it in your chest so you could, because some things are better felt than telt, and it's just impossible to explain just how backwards that picture was, because the church of Jesus Christ, success on planet earth, let me put it this way, is equally accessible to every human being. God puts His plan for your life right at your doorstep. He drives it right up to your door. It's the people He's put in your face. 
He'll bring a group of people right to your face, and he expects all of us to get it and to serve, love, and give, and serve right there. Love and give and serve right with the people, right in our face. Yes, our our family, of course. But then the church of Jesus Christ is God's family. So what is it? And a hundred times out of a hundred, we don't, you'll never have to figure out how you build God's kingdom. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go, go on a long prayer retreat. You don't have to get up on a box and, and look over the people around you to try to figure out what God's plan is. What is this mission God has for me? It's in your face. You love and you give and you serve right here. Love, give, and serve. Can we say those three words? Say love, give, serve. One more time. Love and give and serve. That is what happens. When people get that and see that, and all of a sudden, every little role isn't little any longer. It's wildly important. You see it. You see it because it's actually about, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a duty that needs to happen, yes, but it's actually a post from which you love people. You give to people. You serve people. And when an outsider, when somebody who doesn't know Christ, which by and large, the majority of Maine doesn't know Christ, do you know that on every week, do you know that there are visitors to Life Church Every week. And do you know what they are impressed with again and again? It's your awesome preaching, Pastor Brian. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. They leave here saying, I have never heard something so amazing. No, no. Gang, you can turn to any channel and find somebody more entertaining than me. Now, that's a fact. That is not what brings people back. What touches people's hearts is when they come in and they realize, my goodness, my gosh, these people are different. These people, it's different here. They love each other. They love me. I'm going to read you a, uh, something that somebody wrote here. A gentleman says, even though I've run large companies, I found myself being spiritually fulfilled in my role as an usher. Now, I specifically chose this one because, again, usher, kind of like parking lot, is one of those roles that your head will tell you, you know, how, how much can happen? How important can it be? He said, I found myself being spiritually fulfilled in my role as an usher in the church. He said this, from my spot at the back, I not only help people find a seat, but more importantly, I always felt God leading me to someone to pray for and connect with after the service. They go on to say, I can't count how many God moments I've experienced by serving in what seems like such a simple role. He gets it. It's not just about the role. It's not about just that duty happening. It's about people. Everybody say people. It's about loving people, loving, giving, and serving people. And when everybody sees that, you see, but it takes a transformed life. It takes a transformed set of glasses to see that as important. And most of us, we're just too busy. We're too busy. Let me ask you a really deep question. Are you ready? This is a profound question. What is your role on the dream team at Life Church? What's your role? We have several different, and we call them dream teams. Why do we call them dream teams? Ushers and greeters and children's workers. Why do we call them the AV department? Every last one of them are screaming from help. Why do we call them dream teams? What is the dream? There's nothing dreamy about being a greeter, Pastor Brian, and there certainly isn't nothing dreamy about being shoved in the nursery. That ain't my dream, Pastor Brian. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is your dream. You put on a different pair of glasses. It's actually the dream. And you start getting fulfilled the way God fills everybody. God fills you from the bottom up. 100 times out of 100. He starts at the bottom and works up. God always does that. He, one more time, I'll say that again. He starts at the bottom and works up. The world flips it around. The temptation that Satan gave to Jesus is the same temptation. It's worked so well for him, why change it? What temptation did, G- did Satan give to Jesus? People think, oh, the devil. He's just trying to drag everybody down. Well, ultimately, yes. But how does, how does the devil drag everybody down? With the same universal temptation he gives everybody. Same temptation he gave Jesus. He, took, he takes him to a high mountain. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world. It says, Jesus, this can all be yours if you'll just follow me. Same line he gives to everybody. Same line. Same dream. Same pipe everybody smokes. The big me. Me. Me in lights. Me successful. Me. Me. Just, and if he can just keep you, if Satan can just keep you busy with me, he wins. He wins 100 times out of 100. Jesus flipped around and said, no, 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 no. He said to Satan, no, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Everybody say serve. 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 Jesus Christ came to serve and give his life as a ransom. He built it from the bottom up. We are all here today celebrating our salvation because he died. He went to the bottom, right? 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 That's why we're here. That's what we ultimately celebrate. When we receive communion, we're celebrating the price he paid. Bottom up. A new thing happens, a cool thing happens when you start fighting for the bottom. Well, there's a whole lot less competition, by the way, when you're fighting for the bottom. It's just less competition there. There is. And you find, that's where the fresh air really is. That's where the breath of God is. And he starts filling you up. And while you're doing that, you just watch as God works miracles in your life, in your business. He knows what you need. He knows. Get to work on his stuff, he says. That's what Jesus says. That's, his, that's what he asks. All right. I'm like one-third through this sermon, and I guess I'll just rip through the rest of this. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Don't know what awaits me. Except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. How would you ever find the work assigned to you by the Lord Jesus? Anybody know? It's in your face right now. It's always in your face. Nobody ever is going to have that excuse, ever. I just couldn't find it. That's what, that's what Judgment Day shows. God shows you how it was right in your face, the people right in your face. That's the work assigned to us. William Carey said this, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Thursday night, I spend like 10 minutes on that. You guys want me to do that? Do you get it? you understand it? If you say no, I got I to gotta preach it to you. <laughs> I'm not afraid of failure. Let me give you this much. Let me tell you this much about yourself. Can I tell you a secret about yourself? You're not the type of person who's going to fail. Quit worrying about failure. You're not the type of person who's just going to lay in bed. It's, an, it's not going to happen. Quit worrying about failure and start being concerned about something else, succeeding at things that don't matter. That's what you really need to be concerned about. Let's go on. And 
I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. Do you guys believe that? It's more blessed to give than receive? <sighs> a transformed life believes. See, that's what a transformed life believes. You see it. You just see it. You see it. And, and if you've seen it, then you've been working at it long enough that you've already received enough rewards. You've watched God do it. You've watched Him take care of things. And you can't be stopped now. You know it's from the bottom up, and you can't be stopped. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. I'm going to end here telling you that's where you want to end up. That right there. That's where you want to end up. You want to have end up having given yourself so much to building God's kingdom, which is people. You can't do that alone with people so much. You have sacrificed. You have given your heart, your time, your energy so much that it's just second nature for you just to kiss them. Second nature just to cry with them, to kneel and to pray and to cry and to kiss them. That's the beach you want to be leaning on, kneeling on. Gang, God will let you fish. He'll fill your boat with fish. <laughs> Nothing wrong with fishing, but make that your goal, not the fishing. Make this your goal. And God will fill your boat with fish. Does that make sense? Praise God. Let's, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Friends, before I, I pray with you and we wrap this service up, friends, that really, what, what salvation really is, there is a thing called salvation. There, there is an in and an out. To, see, pretty much everybody believes in God. Salvation isn't believing in God. Everybody believes in God. Salvation is a moment in your life when the light breaks through and you give yourself to Him. You go all in. You say, okay, Lord, I'm actually yours. You, you actually created me and, and you actually own me and you, you have the key to my heart. You know what I really enjoy. And I just want to say yes. Yes to your call. See, real salvation has laid it down. It's a life laid down. It's a life that says, God, I, I want to serve you. I want to serve your purpose. Now, nobody's looking around, but if you've never crossed that line where you have truly, truly laid down your life, said yes, whatever that means, Lord, whatever it means, because I know you have all the good stuff. Whatever it means, I give you my life. If that's you, nobody's looking around, would you just raise your hand right there where you're seated? Say, man, that's me. Oh, Jesus, I give you my all. I give you my life. Hold your hand up high. Don't be ashamed. Say, Jesus, I give you my all. Anybody else? Take just 10 more seconds. Raise your hand now. If he's talking to you, don't miss this moment. Thank you for these hands that are lifted. Jesus, I give you my life. Let's all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. You went to the cross for me. You gave your life for me. Lord, I give my life for you. Fill me with purpose. Open my eyes to your plans, to your call, to your purpose for my life. And I'll live for it. In Jesus' name I pray.